This is Collected Clan, Episode 7. We would love to see that on a cover of a book, and we would be so embarrassed to be reading that out in public and people see the cover of that book. And I said, we, we have to do this then. Welcome to Collected Clan, the podcast about outstanding people I've met along the way. People with interesting stories, triumphs, and ideals. People who've made their mark in the world and in my life. I'm your host, Gregory Byerline. I've met a lot of people over the years, and many people come and go. But these people are the company that you keep. Everyday people, just like you and me. Big thank you to everyone who has subscribed and left a rating and review so far. Many new listeners over the past two weeks. Here's a comment from another new listener. I love the concept of this podcast. The guests are interesting people and the conversation is compelling. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much. We plan to. That pretty much sums up what this show is all about. Everyday people having a conversation, telling stories of their lives, and learning new things about each other. More than an interview, it's a conversation. And in the social media age, when most people have resorted to talking at each other, this is an opportunity to talk with each other. In this episode, I had mentioned that I had run a road half marathon the day before, and before we started recording, I mentioned that my feet and legs took a beating because I wore the wrong running shoes for that distance on the road. Later in the recording, I referenced mentioning that, so I wanted to provide that context here. Also, this episode was recorded via Skype over slow and delayed call connection. My guests live in a rural area with satellite internet, which is a step above dial-up, in their words, so there are short moments that signal delay causes to talk over each other. Even so, this is another fabulous conversation, and I'm excited to introduce to you Franklin and Jenny Baker, runners, homeschoolers, and encouragers. Let's get started. Let's talk a little bit about the running side of you guys and how you got into ultras. And why ultras and not why shorter distances? I'm going to let Franklin start because it was his fault. Uh, I'm, I'm going to blame it on my dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, he would probably take credit for it and be happy with it, too. <laughs> <laughs> From what I've heard about your dad, I, I could see that. Yes, yep, that's yeah. exactly right. Um, you know, I uh, what, what was my first 50K? Maybe Bartlett. Eight years ago? No, Bartlett. it was like 2007, babe. That we're old uh, 11 years ago <laughs> yeah. yeah so I had never ran a marathon I don't think I even ran a half marathon yeah we had done we had dabbled in road like five kids. and um and then we we decided that day we're like let's go run on the trails people do this let's go see why they do it and so then the next thing I know you're like hey I'm gonna go do this 50k with my dad in the middle of August he, in, in Memphis, Tennessee. In Memphis, oh man! Yeah, he he'd been asking me for a while to do one, and I didn't have any idea what I was doing. We went for like a seven or eight mile run, and my dad's like, "Oh, you could do a 50k easy." Like, <laughs> no, you're strong. And I'm like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Why don't we do it for my birthday, and we'll celebrate in August because both of our birthdays are in August." And so it was a a father son trip, and we went to Memphis and did the whole. Bill Street and everything that you know Memphis has to offer. The temperature that weekend was over a hundred. Oh man! Uh, I, I want to say the day of the race, it got up to like 106 or 107. It was like a record day in August in Memphis. I just remember when you ran out of the woods and got out of the coverage, and the sun hit you, like you had to walk because you couldn't breathe. It was so hot. 
and <laughs> we ran i want to say 12 miles and then my dad started having a stomach issue so <laughs> he, he stopped and i kept going and i don't know how i still don't know how i finished that thing my training maybe i got up to like a 10 mile run uh, i had no reason to to do that or finish that but it, yeah that was that was the intro into it and it hurt and it was painful I want to say I, I felt like I throw, threw up a couple of times. You finished because of one of the reasons we love the running community. Uh, you finished because of the generosity of strangers. Yeah. There were people who would come, spectators who were runners themselves but were volunteering and were there cheering other people on. They didn't even know you, but when they heard it was your first ultra, they took turns jumping in and pacing you because it was a looped course. I love and it. And so they would get you food. They would get you food. They would come run with you. And, and that's one of the things that sets the trail community apart from other communities is the generosity of people and the willingness to give of themselves, even if they don't know you. Mm -hmm. It was a good, well, I don't know, four or five years later before I ever tried another <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That is not true. Uh, because you ultra. Came, you, ultra. No, you came home and said, hey, there's this one in Germantown. Let's do it. And it was like the oh, next year. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I, su I suckered you into one. Right. Yeah. yeah, but so co co-misery is, is a thing, you know, and if, if, if a husband and wife can go through that together, then why not? And that was it. I mean, my, my training, and unfortunately, one of my weaknesses is anything you can do, I can do better. And so... <laughs> I have sensed well, that. If you can run a 50K, well, I can run a 50K. And I, I went and bought these Nike trail shoes and then another pair of Montreals. And I don't even know. I know Montreals still exist. I mean, these shoes. They were the shoes back in the day. They weighed probably five pounds each. <laughs> and so we went out one morning in Germantown, Ohio, and decided we're going to run this 50K. And I, like, similar to Franklin, I had only been running like six miles at a time on the road. You learned off me. We, yeah, yep. Same training plan. And I ate for 32 miles white bread burritos. Like I would take pretzel sticks and roll it in the white bread <laughs> and eat that. <laughs> and then we heard about these salt tablets. And so we're like, well, we should probably take salt tablets because we're sweating a lot. So we popped some salt tablets every once in a while. Hit Franklin's dad, Bill, was there. Again. Again. <laughs> He's the instigator. So, well, but he, so he dropped out also again. I'm, I'm starting to see his MO. He's like, I'm going to get them hooked, and then I'm just going to sit back and watch. Yep. That's it. And so we get close, like, five miles from the finish. And, you know, you think you're dying, but you're like, well, i got to make it to the finish. I can't die in the middle of the woods. So we're five miles from finishing, and we see Bill running in towards us. And you know how nice of him to come, and he runs the last five miles with us. So excited. <laughs> uh, and this race, too, was in August. Why we picked ultras in August, I'm not sure, but it was August. You know, you're hot. So we get to the finish line, and I was so slow that the only thing they had left to eat at the finish line was, like, cold pizza by that time. But I didn't <laughs> care. I was super proud of myself that I had finished. And we sit down, and I, I wanted a sweatshirt because, for whatever reason, in August, I was cold after I finished running. And Bill breaks the news to us that while we were running, he had locked our keys in the car <laughs> and wasn't sure how to, to get them back out. <laughs> so, again, 
relying on the generosity of the trail community. Some wonderful soul had a AAA, you know, membership and, and called a locksmith for us. So we got in the car and Bill likes to remind me that my words when we got in the car in reflection of my race were, this is so stupid. Why would anyone ever do this again? That's when you know you're hooked though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I'm so, surprised someone from the trail community didn't have a Slim Jim in their car. Oh, I can, I can get it, get you in there. Hold on, please. Here we go. They probably did, but again, I was so slow. They were Those all gone. People <laughs> they were all gone. <laughs> probably already at home, bathed and having a cup of coffee. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not the running, I think, that's brought us back as much as the people and, and what we learn about ourselves. I don't know, Franklin, you can speak yeah. to that. Uh, we tried the triathlon thing for a while, and we tried the marathon thing, too, where we, we went away from trail running for a while, and it was just, I always call it too, like, type A, like, it's just too structured. There's too, you know, you have to maintain an exact pace and mm -hmm. take nutrition at exact time. And everyone is kind of on edge and, and grumpy. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they are, I mean, it's just- it's, That is, it's a, that is an accurate sport. description. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> or focused, focused might focused, be another, right. they're very focused and intense. Some are focused and some are grumpy. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> and I felt, I felt like it made me that way too. And I, you know, after a while, I was just like, oh, man, I really miss just trail running and the people, like the trail people. Like, it's just a different atmosphere, a different group, more laid back, kind. I don't know if it's just being in the woods allows you to have some freedom or not. But I, for the past, I don't know, four or five years, we've just solely just stuck to trails now. And I really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I definitely got bit by the trail bug last year. And um, just where we live, consider myself a hybrid runner because I can, I've got country roads literally right outside my door and some decent trails within 30, 45 minutes one way, but it's hard to get to those during the week. Yes. Um, and I can do, I can go, yeah. you know, get up way well before dawn and drive to the trail and get a good long run in, you know, but at the same time, I'm still adding an hour and a half of commute time. Yeah. And, and as my uh, training plan gets longer and longer and I've got to go do a, you know, four or five hour run, I was like, well, do I leave the house at 2 a.m.? And for that, I would, yes. But yeah, I, I do a little, little bit of hybrid. I think, um, and that's one of the things that I would encourage people who, who you know, hear this and it's, it's crazy to them. It can sound that way and it can sound extreme, but I like your word hybrid. You know, when you have a family and you have other priorities other than spending time by yourself in the woods or time with friends, I think it really gets down to why why do you run and answering that question for yourself. You know, for Franklin and I, while we enjoy the community and we enjoy being outside and connecting with God spiritually that way, um, we ultimately run because we want to be around a long time for our kids. Yeah, and me too. we want to have a yeah, a thriving a thriving life and you know, exercise and moving is a healthy rhythm to lead us to that. So we have a treadmill because I homeschool the kids and I can't just t like, like you, you know, I can't just run to the trails uh, and just leave the kiddos. Franklin, you know, kind of has the same thing. He gets up early. And so driving becomes really non-efficient use of your time. Yeah. It's a time. And suck. so if this is, yeah. So if it's really <clears throat> about our health, then we, we flex. And so a lot of our weekly miles really are on road or treadmill. 
Um, so for those who feel like, oh, I have to live around trails to incorporate this healthy rhythm in my life, like I would say no. A, a rhythm it requires balance and requires concessions based on your priorities. So if you want to be on the trails, you know, you can find time for that. And you can also get in a healthy dose of, of exercise in other forms too, mm -hmm. you know, when a trail isn't convenient for you. Yep. That's why I run too, because our firstborn uh, came at age 39 for me and our third and final mm -hmm. came at age 44. So right. um, longevity literally matters uh, just because um, I'm, we're almost a generation off from the norm. When yeah. my kids are at graduating age, I will be in the grandparent section with other parents. Um, <laughs> and I want to be there and I want to be healthy. Yes. Yeah. Quality with that longevity. Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. You know, and even yesterday, um, and, you know, I just described what my legs were feeling like with those super lightweight shoes. My eight-year-old, who is, you know, her top of her head is up above my sternum already, and <laughs> I'm and I'm almost six feet tall, and she's like right there in the middle of my chest in her height. She's like, "Daddy, can you carry wow. me upstairs?" I'm just like, "Yes, I can," <laughs> because. Oh, yeah. This is why I stay so active so I can say yes to questions like that and we yeah. can go play oh, and run. Now, the, the downside of that is um, yesterday they all wanted to play in the little grassy knoll across from our house. They, they, they wanted to play chase and I had just gotten home <laughs> from this. I was like, <laughs> normally I would say yes, but this man is not running at all. I will be out here. <laughs> we can walk. We can do whatever. But we will run and play chase tomorrow. They were just thinking they could catch you easier that way. <laughs> well, that's true. But that, yeah. yeah, it's I have a hashtag that I use every now and then is keep moving to keep moving. And I yeah. use a, a run for life hashtag yeah. uh, because that's just a reminder for me on why I started. And I actually didn't start running consistently until our third child, till our son was born. He was born in April and my birthday came around at the end of July. And I'm like, all right. We need to be doing something about this. Yeah. I just had an annual physical not long before. My doctor kind of looked at me over his glasses. He's like, you're borderline hypertensive. I think it's still treatable with diet and exercise. I'm not going to put you on meds. He's a marathoner, which was awesome. So he, then he just had that mentality uh, and not just throw drugs at you. So here's what I need you to do. He's like, I need you to start moving. I need you to check your blood pressure three times a week. I want you to track it for the next six months. Come back. We'll, you know, we'll look at it. And I, I got off my butt put it a standing yeah. desk at my office and I started taking the stairs and I started not looking for the parking spot up closest to the door and I move like I'm sitting now and I'm I'm fidgeting I will probably end up standing up a little bit because I'm sitting on a kitchen mm -hmm. stool right now but yeah keep moving to keep uh, moving man it's just basic law of inertia have you have you went back for your uh, six month follow-up Oh yes, yeah, and he was like, "Yep, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> See you in another six months when the when the other annual comes around." And uh, yeah, that was 25 pounds later, and several blood pressure points later. And you know, last year I was uh, down to I was curious what my mile time would be because um, I was a miler when I was in junior high and high school, and I pulled out a 601 mile. It hurt like nobody's business. <laughs> um, so when I told him that, he was like. Okay, I think you're. I think you're on a good path, and I think your your health has improved. And you know, I'll see you once a year. <laughs> That's the plan. Yeah. That's awesome that you were able to influence your health based on a choice that you made 
And I love that because, in, you know, when people say, it's crazy what you do, say, you know, running is just moving. It's just movement. So it may yes. not work for you. It may work for you. But what I love about running is Franklin alluded to this. You know, we tried the triathlons and the road running and we do dabble in mountain biking. All of those things require gear, a mm -hmm. lot of gear. For me in our life right now, we have a lot of different things going on. And running is one of the most simple things that I can do when it comes to movement because it just requires shoes and a shirt and shorts. Yep. So have to air up bike tires or find the right bike, you know, I can just walk Put out the, my door and go. Yep. That that's me too. I used to race bikes back in my early thirties, but it's time consuming and it's gear, gear heavy. So I, yeah, you know, I totally get that. Yeah. And you know, if I travel for work or whatever, it's, it's easier to wear my running shoes through the airport. You know, it's I, all of my gear I can check on in the overhead bin and I can run <laughs> anywhere. Whereas, right. you know, right. disassemble the bike, reassemble it, ship it down there or coordinate renting a bike or borrowing a bike. I was like, I mean, I love that, but man, that's a pain. I have a buddy who's a streaker and- um, What's a streaker? A, uh, okay, so a streaker is someone who runs at least two miles every day, uh, 365 days a year. And so he's been streaking for um, I want to say it's going on three or four years now. Mm, wow. And there's a group of us in a text message that are friends and he sent us a message and was like, guys, I'm, I'm laid over like nine hours now. I thought I would be, I think he was going to Florida to get a run. I'm stuck in the airport. What do I do? And we're like, go for a run. He's like in the airport. And we're like, yes. Yeah. And one of the guys on the text stream with us, had, had done the same thing. He was a streaker as well and it ran the airport. So he sent his Strava data where he like proof like, yes, I've done this, do it. And he was like, all right, I'm going. And he started doing loop, <laughs> loops in the airport. I think it was Atlanta, the big Atlanta <laughs> airport. It was Atlanta. Yeah, I did a streak last year that it, it ended accidentally. It was a one mile streak, run or walk. But I had some airport time and you know, we're just sitting there <laughs> waiting for the gate. I'm like, hey, I'll be back in a little bit. I'm just going to, you, you could fit it in anywhere. Why did you guys take on the Georgia Jewel? <laughs> Franklin? What's this? This will be our third year, yeah. I think, doing it. Why don't you explain what uh, the Georgia Jewel is first for people who don't know? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say my point of view, you can say hers, because they're quite different uh, <laughs> on, on how this started. Um, the Georgia Jewel is a 150, 35, and 17 mile race on the Penhody Trail um, in North Georgia. It's almost a hundred percent trail. And I had signed up to do Chattanooga Ironman. We had just moved to Chattanooga and I was like, Oh, I'm going to do Ironman Chattanooga. We're in Chattanooga. I got to do this one. And so as Ironman got closer, I was just hating the training. I mean, it was just dreadful and I couldn't pull myself out to do all these swims. And so finally I was like, Jenny, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw in the towel and ask for you know a refund on what they'll give me. And Maybe they'll give us the mortgage on our house back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I are, are are very very expensive. I want to say it was like seven or eight hundred dollars, and they gave me like a hundred bucks back of it. And it was, I was like, oh, I was like, well, maybe I can apply this to another race. And so I started searching. This was this was in August, and the race was you know end of August, and I found the Georgia Jewel. What were my stipulations though for the race that were replaced? It, I, it had to be within that price range. What money I had left. <laughs> And it had to be uh, somewhat drivable, like within like an hour's drive. So I'm, I'm searching, searching, searching. And finally, I found the, the Georgia Jewel. And I was like, okay, I've got one. The price fits. It's, you know, 40 minutes from our house. I don't know anything about this trail system. Never been there. Let's, let's just do it. 
And, um, and Jenny was gracious enough to let me do that and brought the kids. And I ran the race. And when I finished, I come into the, the gravel and we're talking. I'm trying to get recovered a little bit. And Jenny's looking at me and she's like, so uh, what do you think about us like being the race directors of this next year? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it's like, well... Um, the race director is moving away and needs someone to fill in, and I kind of volunteered us. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> so you, you tell so, your part of it. So we had shown up at the finish line at this race, and I had the kids. It was a dreary, rainy day. Pulled into this parking lot, and there weren't many people at the finish line at that time. And so I was privy to just some conversations just because I was really one of the only ones there with the kids. And I overheard the race director talking about moving to Israel the next year. And actually what caught my attention first was her expression that she was moving to Israel. I yeah. am very interested in the history of Israel, interested in the, the Jewish nation's history and, and that my connection to that. And so actually that was what caught my attention first. And so I started listening and, and I was nosy. And then I hear her say... <laughs> you know, hey, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this race next year. So I kind of moseyed over and interjected myself into the conversation. And at the end of it, you know, I just mentioned, hey, I don't mind helping because her heart for starting this race really was to to give back to the running community. And I very much connected with that. I very much connected with this desire to contribute back to this group of people who had given Franklin and I so much. And so I just said, hey, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll help out. And so then the next thing I know, like a month later, she calls and she's like, she's, so she's South African, Karen, Karen's from South Africa. So she, well, she called and she said, Jenna, I would like to give you the race in this sweet <laughs> British accent. <laughs> so, so I walked into the kitchen and I said, hey, remember that race I volunteered us for? Well, we're now the race directors. <laughs> and Franklin was mad at me for like 10 minutes and then got on board. He's very gracious in that area of life to get on board with some crazy things that I ask. I mean, I have gotten on board with his crazy things. Obviously, it's how we got into ultra running. <laughs> but, but we jumped in with both feet. And I just tell you what, it was. I was telling some friends yesterday who I was running with that, you know, at the end of the weekend when we host the race, it's never a feeling of, oh, look, we did it. Uh, it's a feeling of, oh, my goodness, look at what these people worked hard to do and accomplished this weekend. You know, almost 300 runners trusted us enough to give us their, their time and their, their trust to come out to this experience that we created and challenge themselves and push themselves and look what they did. And so we... For me, and Franklin can kind of give his own insight, but I walk away from that weekend inspired and in awe of what people are capable of when they push themselves and they they challenge themselves. It is truly a humbling and amazing experience for me. So I don't know, Franklin, what you would say, what you get from the weekend, but that's what I get. Yeah, I get some of the, the, the same uh, feelings as you did. And I, I as you were saying that, it kind of brought me back to that initial ultras that we did with Germantown and thinking, <laughs> wow, you know what? Now that I think about it, like in kind of like post-hoc, like that's 
that's uh, uh, that was us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, people were like, "Wow, look what they did!" They, I wouldn't have picked them to be able to do that. <laughs> Yeah, look at the finish. Yeah, e eating white bread and pretzels and salt tablets and all. Yes, and pooping in the woods and or wherever else you need oh, to. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great time at last year's Jewel in 2017. Um, I did the 17, 18 mile route, and uh, this year <laughs> I am planning on doing the 35. I'm going to push it a little bit. All right. And that will be. My uh, aside from some longer training runs leading up to it, that will be my first official trail ultra. I'm yeah. holding out for that one. So, uh, you know, what's another four miles after 31, right? That's right. Yeah. And then I'm reminded <laughs> that it's the most difficult four miles of that 35. But, it, but it'll be awesome. It will be yeah, especially awesome. Especially with the little the, the twist at the end that was added now. Yeah, just a slight Don't twist. Tell about the Secret safe it's with a surprise. me. It is a surprise. <laughs> And I'm just so glad that I was able to come down the night before start time and meet your dog for us. I was like, I want to take him for a run. I need a shakeout run. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I have you. done that surprise twice. Because if I yeah. if it had been a surprise, yeah, that would have not been funny. <laughs> Actually, it yes. would have been funny, but it wouldn't have been funny at the time. No. Bless you for taking our dog on a run for us. That poor dog. He needed it. He needed it. Oh, He's a strong he one. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to bring mine, but, you know, it's September in North Georgia, and I didn't know the community down there yet, so I didn't want to just leave her with someone, and I definitely didn't want to leave her in the car. Maybe I will work out some childcare arrangements for while I'm on the trail, and then I can have her there for the overnight and at the finish yeah. line. We'll, we'll see. I don't want it to, to be a, a burden on anyone, but she would love the scene, and she'd love the attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, most dogs do. You should, you, should, you should get her to run a portion of it with you. That would be fun. I mean, she could totally do it. Um, she's up to, uh, our longest run together is 15, I think, so... Yeah, she could do it. Yeah, just put her in, put, put her in at Snake with you. Have somebody drop her at Snake. Oh gosh, that actually that would be a nice distraction too. Yeah. Yeah, then she could pull you up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I can attest. Yeah. I can attest to everything you said about the community because I have direct experience with that, especially uh, where Franklin is concerned. Because my very first trail race was a little over a year ago at Cloudland Canyon Half. Uh, which I yeah. think you single-handedly won because I remember on the out and back section when you were far ahead of me and you came back, you were on the way back. We met on the trail and you were just smiles and, hey, how you doing? And just lilting like a gazelle over the trail. And it was yep. one one degree wind chill and you're just doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo like a mountain goat. And then through the beauty of Strava, I was curious to meet some people in this new community because I was, I mean, after that one race, I mean, I was hooked. I mean, I enjoyed trail running, but I had never been to a trail event. I had never experienced the crazies that make up the trail running community. And it is completely different than the road community, which is completely different than the road cycling community that I was a part of 12, 15 years ago. Just different tribes. Um, one's not better than the other. They're just different. And trail runners are a more colorful people. There are characters and personalities and, and quirks and 
Uh, I mean, even from like straight-laced accountant types, you know, get them on the trail in a kilt and a unicorn hat. Yes. And then it's a party. So yeah. I was curious who these people were. And I ended up running with some people on the trail and I wanted to see if they were Strava users because I enjoyed the chat and, you know, they were just super cool. So I went like, well, let's use this social media of Strava and try to build some friendships. And there's a feature on there called flybys, which allows, basically allowed me to Strava stalk just about everybody that was at the race. <laughs> and I was, oh, okay, well, who, who won this? Who was this gazelle? And it ended up being Franklin. So I think I you know, just sent some, hey, good run, good seeing you, yada, yada, yada. And somehow we got in an email conversation and discovered that not only were we trail runners from, from that community, but we also share a homeschooling thing. So I had some questions about that. And just through just general surface chat, Franklin had invited me or informed me about the Georgia Jewel. I was like, well, that sounds cool. And it was cool. Yeah, I, just, I love how interconnected it all is. You guys are doing a killer killer job building the community around the georgia jewel and it's my favorite sub tribe of <laughs> of trail running everybody i met Thank down you. there uh, is just super super solid um even in their crazy craziness <laughs> so what if whatever you set out to do you're doing it and keep doing it and I, I won't say don't change anything because i know you won't you'll you'll make things better and make it even cooler and cooler so just keep doing the team baker thing Thank you. Yeah, I'm trying to get everybody up here that I run with to come down and do it this year. All right. Yes. Make the finish line fun. <clears throat> that you guys do for sure. Let's take a quick break for a nonprofit spotlight selected by our guest. Water. It's life's most basic need. But there's a water crisis in our world right now. Seriously, a crisis. Nearly one billion people live without clean drinking water. It's happening all over the world, especially in developing areas of Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, and Latin America. It's a water crisis because it starts with water. But water affects everything. Education, health, poverty, and especially women and children. Until they get a little help. The water crisis is vast, but we can solve it. Just $20 can provide one person with access to a clean water project in their village. And this will mean more than clean water. Because water changes everything. Join us. Learn more at runforwater.net. That's run with the number four, then water.net. Runforwater.net. And also visit the show notes at collectedclan.com slash team baker. Now back to our conversation with Jenny and Franklin Baker. Why do you guys homeschool? What's the purpose and the challenges that you face with homeschooling your kids in Chattanooga, in the mountains, and all that stuff? For us, we want to be the main influencers in our kids' lives. We want to be the loudest voice that they hear because we believe that they've been given to us uh, for a, a specific purpose. It wasn't an accident that Lucy and Levi ended up with us, that we are the right parents for them. And so we believe we have things that we want to impart to them without distraction. And so we, we believe that's part of our purpose as parents uh, and just as individuals. 
I, I love, we love adventure. Like we love to travel. We love to explore. And I remember the first time I went to Washington DC, gosh, I was out of college. I was an adult working and it was, it was the most amazing experience I'd ever had because finally, after all of these years, history came to life for me. And for the first time, it wasn't in a textbook. It wasn't a lecture. It was actually real life. And I got to interact with it and experience it. And I thought, man, this is what education should be. It should be experiential. And so I remember thinking, like, if I ever have kids, I want them to have a highly experiential education. And I'm very thankful that Franklin and I, and there are a lot of things we fight about in our marriage, but this was one that we were both on a similar page about. And in Cincinnati, where we moved from, the homeschool community was very robust and rich, as it is in most big cities, just because you've got a great pot of people that you know you get to connect with. Uh, and so we had the, the privilege of watching a lot of families successfully homeschool their kids. And we personally connected with that. We, we thought, yes, this looks like a good fit for our family. The rhythms, the, the way that they are connected as a family. Well, I'd also interject that we, we didn't like the rhythm that we were currently in. And we were both working full-time jobs, doing stuff on the side. And then our kids were with a nanny or they were in some type of childcare. And we would get home and it was like, you know, so-and-so, you know, took a step or whatever and we didn't get to see it or mm-hmm. so-and-so had a fall and you know they were hurt and we weren't there to to care for them and console them and that broke our hearts to the to have our kids in that type of environment and one of our goals with moving to Chattanooga was to to scale back and to to say okay we don't need as much we don't need to make as much money we don't need as much things um, we can do you know more with less with just quality and so we we moved here with the idea of slowing slowing down and part of that was hey jenny your your job is going to be you know the homeschooling the kids and taking care of the kids and and in that way if they do fall like one of us are are here and then you know my job also was going to be okay you know we're going to make a little less money and we're not going to work 40 50 hours or drive an hour to work we're going to make it closer and you know, I'm only going to work, you know, 30 to 40 hours. And we've done that now for three years, three years. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's been hard. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's been difficult. Like life was, life was really nice in Cincinnati where you have two incomes, you have a nanny, you're in, you know, we were in a neighborhood where there were just kids outside all the time. And so life was really easier. Um, uh, but it was also very stressful. Yes. But yes, it, very stressful. it wasn't as peaceful. Yeah. Like it was easier, but it wasn't as fulfilling or peaceful, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, we took the big step and moved and we bought, we have 530 acres of land. Oh, wow. And we bought in conjunction with her parents. Yeah, we live on it with my parents. So it's intergenerational living also. Uh, so my mom does a day of school for our five-year-old. Well, I take Lucy to another homeschool co-op that we're part of. And it is, it's like, it's like marriage. I think like marriage, it's very hard, but it is very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Like homeschooling is difficult, but it's very fulfilling. And, you know, you have all these fears and, and I don't know, Gregory, like if, if you can relate to this, but like 
you know, when you first start, you're like, man, am I, it, what if my kid doesn't learn to read? Like, what if I can't <laughs> teach them, yeah. you know, how to count? Like, and I'm a failure. And it's amazing for me how God has just been gracious to meet us in that place. And somehow, like, our oldest is reading and she's doing okay. So I don't know if you experienced that or not, yes. but we did. Yes, we did. I mean, we, ours is a, a similar interest. Um, well, you know, we want it to be the biggest influence and the loudest voice. Um, although we are not as loud as you are, Jenny. Um, but we still want to be a loud, <laughs> <laughs> a loud voice in our, our kids' lives. Very and, few people uh, and thank you for uh, graciously receiving that friendly little dig. Oh yeah, it's, and, a, uh, it, it's true. So I, can't really <laughs> I, I have noticed, <laughs> and it's awesome. Yeah. So so keep doing that. But I remember I, when uh, Franklin had mentioned. Uh, actually, I think it was probably the conversation starter that uh, really flowed the email chain. Is I just ha happened to see that Franklin had mentioned that they were going to a homeschool thing. Well, oh here I am, new to the trail running community. I was like, hey baby. There's at least one other homeschooler family inside the trail community, and, and there's probably even more that I don't know. And uh, it was just super cool to make that connection because it, it definitely is challenging, but it is rewarding. And the final payoff is, is so great. Um, we have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and an almost three-year-old. And our eight-year-old is reading at, you know, age 10 or 11 level, loves to read. Um, has picked up math, just a very imaginative situation, uh, quick learner. Our five-year-old is uh, similar. She's starting to read and really getting it and understanding it all. And it's that is largely my wife's doing, um, just because in our family makeup, I have a full-time job. I, I leave the house and, and go to work. Okay. And then she is a stay-at-home mom and homeschooler. And she's really, really good at it. She started college as an education major and then switched to nursing and was a fantastic NICU nurse. Um, and that has come full circle because now she's a full-time professional educator, but with the discipline of the, like the, the checklists and the systems yeah. and the organization that nursing requires, um, yeah, she's just, she's amazing at it. You know, it's a, it is a partnership. You know, I, I'm so thankful to be able to stay home. Um, I remember leaving for work every morning, and there was always this tug at my heart where I would see the kids wave to me out the window. And um, I'm thankful that I have a partner who is willing to, to go to work every day and work very hard so that I can stay home and, and be that for the kids. And I know not everybody has that opportunity. And so every day, even on our worst days, I am so thankful for having that, that opportunity to do that. So it is a gift that I, I hope I never take for granted. Yep. Um, and, and it definitely comes with some challenges, you know, doing the, the single income thing and yada, yada, yada. So our house we're currently in is a new house. We moved out here. Uh, we were just a party of four so we built a house that was great for a party for plus my freelance business. So I had an office and, you know, we had a guest room. So when grandparents were in town, we could host them and et cetera, et cetera. And halfway through the build, we find out we were becoming a party of five. So there goes my office. There goes the guest room. Um, uh, so it was, it was definitely interesting. Parts of us wants to 
downsize uh, even for or, or right size is a term that is more palatable and, and simplify a little bit we're not quite there yet because uh, we love our neighbors we found a, a bunch of homeschool families in our neighborhood and uh, oh, wow. you know, they have kids that are within walking distance and when the weather's nice there are you know dozens of kids out running around and bikes everywhere so it's that makes it a little more challenging to uproot from. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it, it's super cool. It's definitely challenging, but say, also rewarding. The bigger the challenge, the bigger the reward. Just like, you know, the longer the distance, the harder you have to train, but you feel like you've got such a sense of accomplishment. So ultra running is translating into this ultra race that we run in the race of life. Yeah. Do you get the same feeling like when you cross the finish line and you have that sense of, I've worked really hard and this is really rewarding. Like, do you feel that same way when you guys have pushed through like an educational challenge with your kids, like together where the ki your kid finally grasps it and yes. you both feel like you've crossed the line? Like, yes, such we a do, great feeling. but we, we feel even more accomplished because the education uh, finish line is far more important. <laughs> um, but yes, yes it's, exactly. um, it's, a, it's a sad comparison, but it's an apt comparison. Yes. It's cool because you feel like you've done something together. Like, yes. And it brings, I feel like, I feel closer to my kids because we're working together towards this goal. And when we accomplish it, it just feels good. Yes. Yeah, and one of the challenges to that is our kids are with each other all the time. <laughs> so when, when the neighborhood kids are out playing, it's, you know, yes, go play. Go have fun. Take a break from each other. It, it, and we've gotten to where you, you just feel the tension in the house. You're not in trouble, but I need you to go to your room. Yeah. Be, because you let, let's let's instill in you the gift of understanding solitude and and quiet. Yes. Um, ring the bell. Separate. Go to your neutral corners. That's relax. Okay. Take a nap. Read. Play with your own toys. Shut the door. It's okay. Uh, our older. Our, oldest Molly uh, she would be a road runner because she's very 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 type A which is a, a strength of hers but it's also a, a challenge because she's easily irritated I'm like you don't have to storm out of the room you don't have to run off in a fit but it's perfectly fine to say okay I'm gonna go be by myself for a little bit and I'm trying to yeah. graciously learn teach her how to leave a situation <laughs> Go to your neutral corner. <laughs> you you have each of you have your own room for a reason uh, at this point. And if and if we're not going to use that reason, we'll get into a smaller house and we'll bunk you up or something. Then you'll never have some time alone. But um, that's right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all you know life lessons that we're trying to instill. Well, so, that's what's so great about bringing it back to trail running. I'm a very type A person, and being alone in the woods is where I get that freedom and um, I get that ability to de-stress and. Feel God's presence and be in nature. So yeah. she would be a great road runner, but maybe she would enjoy trail running. Oh yeah, I, I think so very much. Yeah, when when I take her out on some of the local walking trails and hiking trails, I mean, it's always, ooh, look at this leaf, or you know, and wow, I saw a bug, yeah. or did you hear that owl? So yeah, yes, um, they're uh, a little bit on the. Well, I don't want to say they're too young because your kids are younger and they're out in the woods all the time. But um, <laughs> our, our schedule that has not allowed us as much time in the woods together as a family, but we take every opportunity that we can. And speaking of the, you know, whatever you do, keep moving, keep moving. My wife is uh, more of a walker than a runner, 
largely because she was a ballerina for a long time. Um, oh, wow. and, and once a ballerina, always a ballerina. I mean, she just, quote, destroyed her joints. And she physically doesn't handle the pounding of running well. But, but she walks. Yeah. And she's, you know, keeping moving that way. So, and, and I bring that in because we don't always, the five of us, oh, and six plus Clementine, it, it's hard for us all <laughs> to go out in the woods. Uh, so usually yeah. it's a, okay, mama needs a break. I'm going to take the littles out in the woods and just let them be feral children for a little while. And it's great. <laughs> Which is so life-giving for them. Yes. And you. Yes, very much so. Tell me about the book that you wrote. So I wrote this book called The War on Normal, and it really is just an outflow of my life experience as a woman in a first world culture, uh, a woman who has had kids, um, but it's kind of a journey of my experience with my body and what culture says my body should look like and perform versus what my body actually looks like and how it functions. And there is a huge tension between those two dynamics, I think, in our culture. And uh, I have had an unhealthy past with reconciling those two things. And so it really, after I had kids, uh, really drastically shifted because for the first time I didn't have control of some things. I mean, if you have had kids or your your yeah, Franklin just yelled your bladder. <laughs> if you have had kids or your partner has had kids, you know that you get really surprised by the aftermath of carrying and birthing a, a human being. And our culture doesn't talk a lot about that, nor does our culture do a good job giving moms and women roadmaps on how do you reconcile what you see in the media versus what you see in the mirror? So I just shared my journey with that, uh, along with one of my friends, Sarah. She has written several books on pregnancy and delivery. And so she and I teamed up and started back in 2015. And it took us two and a half years to write a book because we had to journey through it first. Um, and because there is so little in the resource department in that area. So we really had to, to do a lot of digging. Um, the book, I love the book because it's a great blend of research, but also personal anecdotes. Sarah's a great storyteller. And so there are a lot of personal stories woven into the book. Um, and I'm, I love research. So if you tell me the sky is blue before I believe you, I'm going to need some, some research that proves why the sky is blue. So I like editorials, but if your editorial doesn't hold up against what I can research and find, science, science <laughs> yeah, right. I'm most likely going to discard your editorial. So right. Sarah brings stories to it, and I hopefully bring um, just some research for those who are research-based to it. That's very cool. The writing was a lot easier than the publishing, because all of a sudden when you open up a very vulnerable, raw place of your life and other people are reading it, you feel very exposed and it's very scary. So I didn't anticipate how uncomfortable it would be to release the book. And some of Franklin's running guy friends <laughs> said, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to buy the book and, and read it. And what did I tell you to tell them, Franklin? I said, tell them not to read it. The biggest favor they can do is don't read that book. <laughs> there are way too many... 
personal things in that book that I don't want them to know. <laughs> That's hysterical. But it was, it was a great experience. Definitely stretched me and challenged me. Well, I, I remember when you had started talking about it on the interwebs. You shared the cover, and I was, I was captivated by the cover largely because I am a photographer. Right. And I have the ability of retouching someone into something that they're not. Yeah. And I loved that the cover was full of tiger stripes uh, and it was still tastefully done and it was black and white also. I mean, that was that honestly, that was the first thing that caught my attention because I love, love, love black and white photography. But I appreciated the the symbolism that that cover had. I thought whose ever idea that was just, I mean, nailed it. It's the perfect cover for that book. I, I have not read it yet. I may. <laughs> Uh, simply because, fair enough, fair enough. I've told a few people about it. I've given it to Megan to read because I know that it will be interesting to her, especially coming from a ballerina background and mother of three children. She's married to a photographer, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and she may have cracked it open a time or two. I've, I've not really checked on it yet, (laughs) but when, when the time is right, she will come in and say, wow, I've I've read that book and I think it will be beneficial to her. So I'm glad it's out there. I've enjoyed hearing you talk about it on some other podcasts and and what have you, and I wanted to include it here. And in the show notes, I'll have the the cover and some links on where they can buy it because I want to help shout it from the rooftops. Do you give on the book the the um, credits to who who did the photo? No, they asked to not be okay. <laughs> not be acknowledged. Okay. You know the so jumping back to the cover. You know you write a book about finding contentment in your body. And then you're like, okay, well now we have to have a cover to go on this. So what kind of cover do you put on here? So Sarah was sending me all of these, you know, we worked with different graphic artists and different people to come up with um, these mock covers. And there was like a drawing, like a drawing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, and there, you know, there were the covers of like, do you go really foo-foo and fun with like the woman's feet, like bare feet, you know, in the sand and, do you go, or do you go really like dark and like watercolorish with no really direction, but everybody's left to interpret the cover on their own? And finally, one day, I just got really frustrated because I'm a very, um, a very, I don't know what the word is. I'm not artsy. I'm not artistic or fluffy. Like I'm very matter of fact mm-hmm. in in my communication. And so I thought. What it, we're very raw and vulnerable in this book. And what is this book about? It's about seeing what we see in the mirror and finding contentment with it. And so I took a picture of my stomach, my bare stomach, and I sent it to Sarah. And I said, this is what we're after. We're after a real picture of what it means to be content with our bodies as women. And Sarah was like, oh, we can't do that. That's really too risky. And Which is all the reason it should be done. <laughs> Right. Uh, And so we threw it out to we had a great focus group of women and we threw it out to them. And I I tend to be a little bit more edgy and willing to take risks than, than Sarah. The majority of the feedback was we would love to see that on a cover of a book and we would be so embarrassed to be reading that out in public and people see the cover of that book. And I said, we, we have to do this then, because that's the problem. Why should we be embarrassed to read a book where the cover is the beautiful stomach 
of a mother who has birthed life. And why is that shameful, embarrassing? Why is it uncomfortable? And so we said, no, let's do it. You know, and the book really is meant to appeal to to any woman. Uh, And what is more, quite honestly, what is more symbolic of carrying a child than a, a stomach that has stretch marks and isn't tight, smooth, and photoshopped? Like it is, it's beautiful. And it really powerful. is. It's it's a it's a yeah, powerful. Yeah, and so photo. we said like this is what we want, and it was funny because one of my good friends, the weekend that we kind of decided, like I took the picture of my stomach. We all went camping, and I, I shared it with him. I said, "Hey, this is what we're going for." And my sweet friend said, "Man, that's that's exactly what my stomach looks like." Like you know, after having kids, and and I said, "Awesome." can I take a picture of it for the cover? <laughs> <laughs> and so she allowed a professional photographer to, to take a picture of her, her stomach. And it, I would have let them of mine. It was just easier if I was kind of behind the camera, you right. know, guiding things. And so then, you know, it is, it is a stomach of a woman and there is no African-American mothers do not experience contentment with their bodies different than Latino mothers or Caucasian mothers. Uh, In our culture, our first world American culture, every mother struggles with the message of contentment in their post-baby body. So we didn't want it to even have a color, hence black and white. Mm -hmm. Like We wanted the, the full message of this book is real and raw and vulnerable and we really get down to it in this book. Uh, we wanted that to come through. So poor Sarah, she she puckered hard for it. But to her credit, she said, all right, let's do it. And I, it's probably one of the things that I'm most proud of about that book is that we, we took that risk and said, no, what we write about, we believe so much, we're willing to put it on the cover. Yep. I think that was the, the smart decision, especially for the content. Yeah. If it had been frilly and, you know, toes in the sand, that, that, that doesn't fit the content. It might connect with the target audience, but it doesn't fit the content at all. Yeah. What has been the feedback to the cover after you've done some book tour type things? I'm sure you've explained that story. Had, like, have people come around to it or do they still, is it still a, uh, a red hot coal that people don't want to go near? No, people have said thank you. Awesome. Uh, I think, yeah, they've said thank you. Just that, you know, it just takes one person to start stepping out and change the narrative. And so once one person starts rolling down that hill, everybody rolls down and picks up momentum. So I've been very thankful for the encouragement. Well, and hopefully, just to bring in another running analogy, hopefully this will have, this will benefit from the Roger Bannister effect and it will become more of a, a norm. And by that, I mean, he was the first one to break the four minute mile and it took forever to do that. But once he did it, people started understanding. He's like, wow, we are capable of running a mile in faster than four minutes. And now it's, you know, even much faster that people have done. So hopefully by you taking that risk and going in that direction, then more people will take that risk and go in that direction. And then more people will take that risk and it will become more of an acceptable norm instead of a shameful norm, because that's, that is a very tough thing. I have a blog post with this reminds me, I'll pull this into the show notes too. And I want to send it to you, Jenny, uh, that I wrote back 
pushing 10 years ago. Uh, no, it wasn't that long ago. It was probably seven or eight years ago. And I would, it, it came from being on set. I was in the studio with this lovely, lovely model. We were shooting a wedding gown. My, my favorite thing to shoot is a bridal portrait, largely because it's the most important dress for the most important portrait during the most important time of a woman's life. She's put the most time and energy onto her. She's put the most time and energy and likely money into the wedding gown, yada, yada, yada. I just I love everything about it. And I was creating the shot and the model was there lovely lady, lovely figure, the dress was fitting her like a glove, whole nine. And she had made a comment that was disparaging to herself, which actually sure, is, yeah. is a very common thing. Uh-huh. And it struck me that, you know, models are looked up to as, oh, well I, well, I don't look like a model. I can't have my picture made or this, that, and the other. And as soon as she said that, it struck me that, I mean, I already knew that models were human, so that wasn't the, the epiphany, but that it was a universal thing. You know, and here yeah. she is. She has, she's been graced with this appearance that many women would be envious of, yet she still wasn't really happy with it. Yeah. And I said to her then, you've just given me a great idea. I'm going to write a blog about it, and um, I won't identify you, but I'm going to reference everything that I just described. And I called it an open letter to Eves. Um, and I and I closed it as I'm just one Adam, but I hope hopefully this makes it an impact. And it had everything to do with you know the content of your character, and everybody has issues. And then another bullet point was every body has issues. I'm like, <laughs> and that's not a typo. Um, you're normal, right. and all of that was developed by being a professional photographer and 90% of the people that I photograph are women. Mm. Um, just, just becoming an insider into the female world. Yeah. I didn't have that access uh, outside of a camera. Wow. I mean, I'm, I married a ballerina, which was access number one. And then I eventually become a father of two daughters, which is access number two. And it started impacting what I photograph and why I photograph it and how I photograph it, and whether I will photograph it or not. So that book really, really resonated with me on a cognitive level due to all of that. So I'll, I'll, I'll send you that blog post, and I'll, I'll include it in the show yeah, notes also, because I wanted to get out there. And it's, uh, it's actually one of the most far-shared blog posts that I have. And Yes, because it resonates still very with timely. so many people. Yep. So kudos to you for, for taking that risk. Now, I've, I've yet to receive feedback from anybody on, hey, wow, cool, that, you know, that article really, really changed my perspective. You know, short of, I mean, some people commented on it back in the day, but it's been out there for a while, so I need to revive it again because it's, it's a timeless thing. Um, and hopefully right. the tide will start turning toward that. Yeah, I see it and sense it, and I'm hopeful for it. So everybody like you that can speak out in the areas of influence that we all have. If we would all do that, then we could turn the, the big ship. Yes. It's a Titanic. It's going to take all of us. It takes a long time to turn. Yes. 
a big cruise liner. Yes. Not driving a little motorcycle here. <laughs> All right. So it, it's clear that you are really, really big on what I will call female empowerment or encouragement really is, is what it is. Um, and from that, you have started a new adventure called She Ventures that I would love to leave to share about also. Because I think this is another, this will be another catalyst into affirming the awesomeness that Eve has. Yeah, I think what has allowed me to pursue a passion of encouraging women to embrace how they've been created is having a Franklin who has encouraged me to be who I've been created to be. I'm thankful I have a dad who has always, I mean, I, when I was little, so I was first born in Texas, and I just wanted to do everything that I saw my dad doing and my mom, but I had the joy of being invited into my dad's world as much as I was invited into my mom's world. And because of that, I felt freedom to pursue the things that I had a personal affinity for and that I had a personal gifting in. And so because I had that dynamic in my house, I think I naturally looked for that in a, a partner. And so Franklin, his mom is very strong and a very capable woman who, you know, has her has had her own business and raised Franklin to appreciate that about her. I mean, Franklin, would you agree with that? Like your mom really encouraged you to see women as capable as men. Yeah, I think she did that. She did it. Through, I don't know if she did it as much through words as through example. And she led that life to businesses. Actually, she started yeah. and, and and had me right along beside her. Like this is how you do it. And I've never viewed women any other way. I was just it was just part <laughs> of life. That's awesome. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things is Franklin and I have kind of gotten into this experience. I mean, now, you know, that we're pushing 40, we have a little bit of experience to look back on. And as we've journeyed through what health looks like for our family, but also being parents, I think we've kind of each found a unique niche in being able to invite people into our lives to share some of those experiences and the things that we've learned. And one of the things from a female perspective that I think we've seen um, Franklin coached for years a running group in Cincinnati, and I kind of tagged along on that journey in a, a different way. But one of the things we've experienced is women not believing they're capable of, of doing things um, physically or outdoors, especially. And I think the outdoor industry and culture has been largely male dominant because the narrative that we have in America is a masculine narrative. And so I mean, if you look back through, you know, generations and of, I mean, in America, the history is that women's place has been in the home largely. And while that's wonderful and, and I love my place in the home. And when I say that, I mean, I love investing in my kids and um, investing in my family domestically. But I also love experiencing the outdoors and challenging myself physically but women have been given this story of pursue comfort. Actually, all Americans have been given this yeah, story. That's society comfort. at large. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so like we have air conditioning and if it gets hot at all, like we turn the air conditioning up. Like we just have an intolerance of being uncomfortable. And because of that, we miss out a lot of things. I think, Franklin, you probably see that in your medical field a lot. Oh, yes. I see that a lot, but also I, I work in a place where people are coming to – 
have more of a lifestyle change. But in the same point, when I like Gregory, going back to you and your doctor saying, I need you to move more and I need yep. you to work on your diet. Like those things aren't comfortable at first after time. Yes. They're very rewarding and, and they, and, and you love it and you get to really enjoy it. But those first few months, it is for most people, it is stepping out of their, their true comfort zone. And, uh, yeah. So talk about women versus men. Like when you encourage women to, to do something different for different results, like how do they respond different than men? Yeah, men from, at least from just in general, Now I wouldn't say all men are this way or all women are this way, but a lot of the men I see are much more likely to say, like I say, Hey, you need to start moving like Gregory and go for a run. And they're like, Oh, I'll do that. I'll get up in the mornings and start doing that. And women are like, I don't have anybody to go with me. I don't like, how am I going to do this by myself? And it's a, maybe a little more intimidating or scary for them. And, and I'm just talking the masses. Now there are the exceptions. There's the Jinnies out there that don't, <laughs> don't really care who's with them. They're going. Right. But, but um, to that, um, women have to be a little more concerned about safety than uh-huh. we do. I mean, I, I do a lot of my runs at night on country roads by myself. Wow. I would yeah. not want, well, any female that I know to do that. Not because I, well, I want them to be able to do that, but I'm not sure society is allowing that at this point. <laughs> I'm not sure it's prudent yeah. for them to do so because there's so many idiots out there. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, and that's the problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The big problem. But the, the women are more, um, they're also intimidated because of the how. Like, well, how do I do that? Like, okay, I'll, I'll get moving. Because you're really good, Franklin, at saying, what do you like to do? If you're encouraging people to create a healthy rhythm of moving, you're like, do you like to hike? Do you like to bike? Like, do those things. And so women would like to do those things, but they're also not sure how to do them always. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I would, when it comes down to that, we talked about in the beginning, like that quality of life and longevity. Like, you don't have to be a marathon runner. You don't have to be a trail runner as long as you're moving in some and the body is in movement of something. So it, whatever it is that you enjoy doing, whether it's playing tennis or rowing or rock climbing or taking the kids out and playing kickball or going for a hike. I mean, there's so many options and things that you can do. And and Edison and I talk to women about like trying to expose like ideas. And so because there is this intimidation factor, I think we get limited and bound up in what we as women challenge ourselves to do. And so one of the things that I've had a a vision for and really a dream of is creating an experience just for women that allows us to connect with each other and encourage and inspire each other to try new things in the outdoors. So we live up, you know, in this property. And one of the things that Franklin and I really have wanted to do is share the outdoors with people who don't normally get to connect to the outdoors and in a way that's accessible and relatable for them and not intimidating. Mm-hmm. And I know for me as a woman, um, so we just started rock climbing like the past six months and Oh, good heavens. I, I mean, I can't tell you as a woman, what goes through my head before I, this winter we went to a climbing gym before I go to this climbing gym. I'm thinking about things that guys aren't thinking about. I'm having as a woman to think about, okay, well, what pants do I wear? Because when I'm up on the wall, people are going to be able to see my butt and I'm going to have to make sure I don't have a woman's plumber crack, you know, so I got to wear the right pants to be appropriate. And, and then, you know, what about shirts? And I'm sure, well, Franklin, you do think about matching your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Style points. 
<laughs> but I'm sure, I mean, so for, there is a different dynamic that happens um, that can be intimidating and keep women from doing things that I don't believe men struggle with. And so we, I wanted to create something where women don't have to worry about those things as much and can have a safe space to learn and to grow. So we decided, and God bless Franklin Baker for being an amazing life partner. Uh, I said, what, what would you think if I started this um, organization for women and opened up our property where we had like a ladies camp where we taught women how to camp, like set up an actual tent themselves and we taught them how to make fire. And then we took them rock climbing and paddle boarding and mountain biking and hiking and trail running. Like, would you be okay if I invited just some friends over to do that? <laughs> and Franklin was like, okay. And I said, well, it'd be like 50, 50 friends. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, he, again, it takes having a good support system to embrace who we are as women. And he is the best support system along with my parents that I have. And so I got a group of, of women together that I trust and that I enjoy being around. And I said, all right, let's create lady camp. And the first thing they said is, well, you can't call it lady camp because that's just <laughs> terrible. That is pretty bad. But again, I'm a very blunt, practical person. <laughs> so we created She Ventures, uh, sheventuresearth.com. And one of our first domestic experiences here in the States is going to be the end of July this year on our 500 acres and it's called She Ventures Camp. And so we have, I just tell you what, I've been blown away. REI is one of our major partners. They're bringing in mountain bikes and rock climbing gear and all the instructors to go with it. So we actually have like professional instructors helping us. Nice. And we have another local company who's doing the paddle boarding stuff. And we're going to have a weekend where all of us women get together in the woods. We set up our own tents. We cook our own food over fire. And we try new things that challenge us personally. And we encourage each other. So that's going to happen this July. And Franklin's going to be our medical Sherpa. <laughs> <laughs> With two kids. Two kids on my hip. With two yeah. kids. Uh, make sure it all hey, goes Hey, if okay, Jenny can but... pull that off, Franklin, you can pull it off too. Get your hips going. That a boy. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's right. So we're put those muscular really arms to work there, Mr. Baker. <laughs> yeah, big strong back. One of the things I'm probably, I mean, I'm excited about creating a safe environment for women, but I am so excited about. I know this sounds really crazy, but our accessibility and the price point. Um, when we started looking at these things and experiences like this, one, there's just nothing around that's like this, but two the big things that are like this in the States are typically out West and they cost over $2,000 easy a weekend. And so we're keeping ours hope. We're just covering costs and we're hopeful that more women can engage because we have a way lower price point than any of the other things that are out there. So our goal is to get as many women outdoors and connected to each other as possible in any way that we can. I think that's a fantastic idea. And I've Thanks. loved it since you first uh, announced it. So I hope it really, really goes well. And I love the purpose behind it too, because it's more than just, hey, let's go hang out. But it's, hey, let's yeah. go stretch our boundaries. Let's grow a little bit. Let's experience life. Let's have some challenges. Let's get dirty. 
let's get yeah you know, we, we might you might break a nail if, if you even have nails because moms don't usually have nails um, or, or whatever yeah. you know let's just put push the boundaries and see what we're capable of which again comes down to the whole ethos of what the trail running community is <laughs> Let, let's test our yeah. limits let's push our limits. we don't really know what we're capable of you know five years yeah. ago or however long 10 years ago, no one really thought that a 200-mile race would be even palatable. And now it's like, you know, the new big thing is the new 100-mile. I was like, good night, people. Right. Here we go. You know, <laughs> the banister effect. That's right. That's right. I think it gets crazier and crazier. Is it crazy, Franklin, for you to be married to a person like me? Like, oh, as be a careful woman, how you like answer that. Culture? Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> um... Well, it's been going on for 15 years, so it's, <laughs> it's become very normal to me. We haven't got divorced yet. Yeah. Yay! Is it is it a challenge, though, in our culture where we have different, maybe non-traditional roles, both of us? Is is that hard um, in our culture? I don't feel like it is for me. Well, that's good. <laughs> yes. but, but I am going to keep this recording because you've said like three times like how wonderful I am. So <laughs> the next time we have an argument or fight... About just press I, play. I now for, for, yeah, for life. Make it your play. ringtone. <laughs> oh my god! For oh, her, god, when she calls, make it her voice saying that. That's that's a good idea. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> we should all have that. We should all have a recording of our spouses like shouting our praises just for the days when we don't believe it about ourselves. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Actually, yet, that's a great idea. Yet another thing I think you're on to. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. I have greatly enjoyed getting to know you guys over the last less than a year, which is funny because you guys will have the shortest life experience with me, very likely of anyone that's going to be on this podcast. But that doesn't mean it's not as meaningful and as as deep as other people that I'm talking with on this. But there was there was just something about Team Baker that I resonated with and there, there was a connection on many levels. It's even uh, a deeper connection now that we've had a chance to spend some time together, I mean, even though we're over Skype and in two different time zones. And even though this is the longest conversation we have had, which is crazy. <laughs> I knew when I was starting this podcast, it was like, I need to get the bakers on there because I definitely consider you, quote, my people. And I want more people to know about you guys as people and what you do is a product of why you do it and that's what I think is the coolest thing about Team Baker. Hmm. Well thank you. I I don't speak for Franklin but it's been a joy having you connected to kind of our tribe and our community. The energy that you bring, the positive energy and the encouragement and the joy that you bring is life-giving, I think, to everyone that encounters you. Even through, I mean, just your writing, conversation, you know, when you're there in person, you are a joy bringer and a joy giver. And I want more people like you in my tribe because uh, that inspires me to keep taking risks and doing crazy things too because I have someone like you supporting and cheering me on so thank you for choosing to you know, be connected to us and for sharing your life and your encouragement with us well it's i appreciate you saying that and and the times that we've been together have been like 
post trail run or pre trail run. Uh, so I'm going to uh, give a lot of the credit to just moving and being out in nature because that has been a happy place for me. It's somewhat of a rejuvenator, even though we're pushing our limits and literally exhausting our bodies. It's so enriching to the mind. So it, it, it's all it's all cyclical, which is why I was so thrilled to become a part of the the Baker tribe. I, and I think it was uh, it wasn't long after the jewel. It's like October, November. I messaged Franklin. I was just like, I need to jump back into this tribe. I'm like, is there any other races that you guys do? And he's like, nope, just the one. <laughs> 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 uh, so hey, don't ever ask him. Always ask me because if you have an idea, I'm like, yeah, let's yeah, do let's do that. Race. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, thank you for your time this morning. I look forward to introducing you guys and all of this stuff to the listeners out there. And just thanks for being you and doing what you do and why you do it and all that. Crazy people unite. Yeah, thanks for having us again. We appreciate you inviting us. We appreciate your friendship. Absolutely. There you have it. If you enjoyed this, subscribe and share with your friends. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Collected Clan and subscribe. See more in the show notes for this episode at www.collectedclan.com slash Team Baker. Now go be you.